Welcome, revelers and weirdos, to another fine episode of Scaring Sam, where I subject my beautiful, ever-hangry fiancé to scary movies, testing the limits of her nerves and likely our relationship, in hopes that one day she will come to love and appreciate the horror genre as much as we do. I like to call it exposure therapy for cinephiles. I'm James Reese, And I'm Sam Difford. And it's finally a new year. Woohoo! <laughs> I hope 2021 is going to aggressively jizz joy all over our faces. What? <laughs> and this month we are celebrating the man, the myth, the legend that is Stephen King. And what a better time to be giving ourselves a break from video gaming. Seriously, we have been addicted. <laughs> Only for the last couple of days. I mean, Christmas break... We've just been doing nothing, have we? Food comas, <laughs> watching countless films on TV, not horror films All though. All your poxy musicals. <laughs> and and we decided yeah. to download Stardew Valley. Yes, and I thought this was going to be one that I was just going to be playing all the time and occasionally James would play, but I think he's more addicted to it than I am. Because <laughs> I have that kind of... Addictive personality. I've got the same thing with food as well. Mm. And now you, know, you have worms. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and now our productivity has gone right out the window. But here we are. Yes, it's King Month now. And we start things off with John Carpenter's Christine from 1983. And let's dive into the plot. Bullied school nerd Arnie Cunningham finds solace in restoring Christine, a 1958 Plymouth Fury. But as the car changes, so does Arnie. As if Christine has an evil presence over him. Okay, we have a lot of background to cover before we dive into the film. So brace yourself, Sam. Oh, I'm braced. Yeah, listen intently. I'm in a comfy sitting position. It's okay. After adapting Salem's Lot for TV, King sent the manuscripts for both Cujo and Christine to producer Richard Cobritz to consider. This was the height of King's popularity, where films based on his work went into production before the books were even published. Cobricks chose Christine as he thought a rabid St Bernard was too silly in comparison to an evil Plymouth Fury. And as a side note, King barely remembers writing Cujo anyway, as he was off his tits on cocaine at the time of writing it. Cobritz optioned the manuscript after he identified with how the story inverted America's obsession with the motor car. All I know of this is how much they go on about Chevys in Mad Men. I felt Christine better depicted teenage rebellion and the intoxicating empowerment someone so young feels when they gain the independence from getting their first car. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, getting your first car's great. The freedom. Oh, finally, I can go somewhere without my parents. It's fantastic. I'm still struggling to get a driving test. Not even a driving test. You, <laughs> you need to get driving lessons, but because of COVID, all of the school shut. And in a lot of ways, Christine is in the same vein to King's Carrie. Both have these socially awkward teenagers who are controlled by overbearing parents, relentlessly attacked by high school bullies, but they find solace in the supernatural. When the time came to hire a director, our boy John Carpenter was brought in. Carpenter was originally meant to adapt King's Firestarter, 
was he was fired and the film handed to Mark Lester after The Thing performed badly. You see, Sam? After the mega hit of E.T., everyone wanted friendly shit-shaped alien visitors. <laughs> so John Carpenter's Thing was unjustly poorly received, becoming a critical and financial failure upon its release in 1982. But of course now we know it's an absolute banger. Following his first high-profile box office flop, Carpenter just wanted to get back to work and dive into this as his next project. And Carpenter didn't want known faces as a means to emphasise the car was the real star. He felt he found the perfect fresh-faced newcomer to play Arnie, that little-known actor, Kevin Bacon. But Bacon dropped out when he was offered a role in Footloose. I mean, who has ever heard of that film? Oh, you mean that one that you're always dancing to? Oh yeah, who doesn't love Kenny Loggins? <laughs> Keith Gordon was eventually cast as Arnie after his previous work in Brian De Palma's Dress to Kill caught Carpenter's attention. The studio wanted to take advantage of King's horror credentials, so they were pushing for a hard R rating, but Carpenter wanted to avoid the gore that defined the thing, so screenwriter Bill Phillips just leant into the colourful language used in the book and have the high school characters swear like troopers. And boy, did they. The all-time classic. Nothing better than the smell of a new car. Except pussy. Hmm. Very tasteful. I'm not going to disagree, though. <laughs> anyway, Sam, what did you think of Christine? Um, well, do you know what? I don't really know what to say about this one. A horror film about a scary car. It didn't scare me. I got shocked about the language <laughs> and that was about it. I did like that it started with the um, song Bad to the Bone. That's great. And then we found out that that's the first film to use this song. And what was it most famous for? Probably Terminator? Was it Terminator 2? Oh, I don't know. It was an okay watch, um, just not a scary one. Seriously, I really don't know what to say, James. <laughs> well, you can't really imagine a car, a possessed killer car, ever really being scary. Exactly. I suppose the closest you ever come to that is probably Steven Spielberg's Jewel, his first film. I think it was a TV movie. Oh, I haven't seen that. That's quite suspenseful, but that's a massive lorry chasing a guy through all these countless highways, relentlessly being pursued by this behemoth of metal just chasing mm. him down. It starts in 1957 at the Detroit assembly line where it's clear Christine was born bad. He's crushing one guy's fingers and killing another, somehow, after he scatters cigar ash over her seats. And then you jump all the way forward to 1978, where we're introduced to Dennis and Nerdy Arnie. And I'm going to assume that Arnie and Dennis grew up together because now they're seniors and Dennis is being encouraged by the jocks to play football. He's clearly one of the popular kids now compared to Arnie. Yeah, I, w I would say they've grown up together and Dennis wants to protect his friend, doesn't he? Yeah, because he still has a good heart. Yeah. He hasn't been swayed by the popularity. He's clearly getting attention now from women in his year, but that hasn't deterred him from still hanging out with Arnie, still looking out for him. Other than that, there's nothing in common with either one of them now. Mm -hmm. 
and even now Arnie is being bullied by Buddy, the only high school senior who looks to be in his 30s. <laughs> yeah, that was quite quite funny actually because everyone else looks a little bit younger and then, yeah, he definitely doesn't fit the um, high school age look, does he? I can't tell if it's the hair with all the sideburns or no. the incredibly levered tan skin on his face. That was a thing in the 80s. You had teenagers played by 20-somethings. Um, I don't think he's even 20-something, though. I mean, even the guy in The Breakfast Club, the one who played the rebel. Yeah, but you see that in a lot of films. But I forget his name now. I know he did the voice of Hot Rod in Transformers the movie. Right. Because I'm a massive geek, clearly. <laughs> but he, I think, was actually 30 when he played that role in The Breakfast Club. Oh, my God. I've got to double-check that. You just look at him, he's like, what age are you? And he friends Arnie with a switchblade, then verbally abuses the teacher. And after all that, he's not even expelled. He's just sent to the principal's office with his two lackeys. But that's king for you. He does love his overly violent bullies in his stories. Well, I guess we had to have a little bit of um, violence, except, well, it wasn't really... A little I'm just expecting a bit more, come on. <laughs> A bit of blood somewhere. <laughs> I don't think there's any blood in this film. No, is there? there's not. There's no gore. <laughs> and I think this is on the way home. We first see Arnie eye banging Christine from a distance, like he's checking out a woman walking down the street or something. Mm. Yeah, and I still don't understand this connection between how he treats the car. We'll we'll talk about that later, but um, how he's treating the car like. A woman. When he touches her and... <laughs> touches her, see? <laughs> Even I'm referring to the car as a her. <laughs> I thought it's boats you refer to as her, not cars. I don't know. I mean, I call my car Sparkles. <laughs> but that's because it's slightly sparkly. It's got a bit of glitter. <laughs> God, you're so girly sometimes. My old car I called Old Blue because oh. she was blue. And old. <laughs> yeah. I think the majority of people name their cars, though, don't they? Well, I think it is mentioned later on that the previous owner treated Christine the same way. I think it's how the car possesses its owner. Yeah, of it's course. Essentially just treat it like a lover. I say, of course, like, yeah, this is a standard thing. <laughs> I mean, some people actually take care of their cars. They wash them, they polish them, they clean them all the time. It's their pride and joy. And most of us just leave old crisp packets and let dust and whatever cover them. To be honest, I don't clean my car as much as I should, but she gets so dirty where I work that I just I would be cleaning her like every day. By the way, Sam, rain does not clean cars. It just makes them wet. <laughs> I know that. Uh, Carfax from Sam and James. <laughs> I thought that's why you didn't clean it. I thought, oh, it's raining. It's getting a good clean by nature. No, rain is dirty. I know. I just thought you wasn't aware. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to where Arnie first spots the car then, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> and word of advice, folks. Don't buy a car from a creepy old man who appears to be wearing a straight jacket. It wasn't a straight jacket, though, was it? That's what it looked like. No, it was like a back brace or something. And this is the guy who goes, there's nothing better than the smell of a new car, except pussy. Great. 
And that's what you should be telling, like... Yeah, that's what you should be telling teenage teenagers. boys, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this, this guy wearing the back brace, I'm just, like, automatically thinking, okay, he's wearing this back brace for a reason. Like, the car's done something to him. He wants to flog it. But then he goes into this story of the car was his brother's. Yeah, because I think in the book... I don't think this character existed in a book. Oh, okay. In King's book, I think it's Christine's former owner, Roland D. LeBay. He appears as a rotting corpse in the back seat, haunting Arnie. Oh. So instead of getting his brother to like dump a bunch of exposition explaining the backstory of the car, mm. you have the rotting corpse in the back <laughs> explaining the backstory of the car. But then how did Arnie find the car then in the book? That's a good point. It magically appeared on his driveway. Yeah. Well, like, and his parents told him, get that fucking car off the, <laughs> off our property. Yeah. Screenwriter Bill Phillips cut Roland from the script as it was reminiscent of the talking corpse that taunted the protagonist in American Werewolf in London. And so Arnie pays way over the price for a moving piece of shit, but it's the first time we see where he stands up to his parents as they object to the car. Because they don't want it on their driveway. Or at least his mother doesn't want it on the driveway. He has to take it to what? Some kind of workshop or junkyard? I think it's a bit of both, isn't it? Yeah, and we see even the owner, Will Darnell. He's, he's a strange character, though, this guy. Yeah, but even he belittles Arnie. It seems like everyone has an attitude problem in this town. Mm. Except maybe Dennis. Maybe they all know that they can walk all over him, so treat him like a piece of shit. And so Arnie gets to work restoring Christine while a 50s love song plays from her radio like he's being comforted by the warm embrace of his girl. <laughs> to such an extent, he forgets he has plans with Dennis and it's the first time we see his appearance change. Keith Gordon and the costume designer decided to visually show Christine possessing Arnie by having him progressively wear clothes that reflect the era the car was manufactured. So he's dressed as a 50s greaser while flipping his lid while on the phone with his girlfriend, which we see later on. Mm -hmm. He's dressed similarly to characters in a Western TV shows popular during the 50s. And of course he wears that red suede jacket made famous by James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause. Dennis, he starts picking up that Arnie's acting a bit strangely. As you would. I mean, he's found something that gives him purpose. Don't discourage him. Yeah, but he's gone past that line, James. He's obsessed about it. What, like us playing video games? No, because we have stopped and we're doing something else. We're not just thinking, oh man, I want to stop doing this podcast and get back to that game. No. We're having a conversation and he wouldn't be able to do that. He he would be like, no, I'm going back to the car. No, I was thinking about playing the game after this. <laughs> <laughs> but we learn before killing himself in Christine, both the former owner's wife and his five-year-old daughter died in the car too. And apparently Arnie has the same look in his eye when he admires Christine. How can you have a look in your eye about a car? Seriously. It's probably like this lustful look. Yeah, but you can't have the same look of a car and to a human being that you love. Like, it's it's not the same. I, I do get car enthusiasts. I do get that. Because 
I I do appreciate a good looking car, but I can't replace a human with a car. A car is a hobby, isn't it? Like if you're into restoring cars and things like that, that's that's a hobby of yours. A very expensive hobby. Yes, yes. Very time consuming as well. But how oh yeah, I just don't get it. And I think because I don't have that connection to understand his obsession with this car. This film just doesn't sit with me. Do you know the ones which I find oh, the strangest, which I don't understand? Sneakerheads. These people what? spend tons of money buying these really flash sneakers, but they never wear them. They just have them on display or have them yeah. in their boxes. Again, that's it's a form of just having um, collections, isn't it? It's like me, um, I buy lots of different like crystals and stuff, don't I? They yeah. just sit there on the shelf. Yeah, and we're not here to kink shame. We're not saying it's a kink. But obviously people have their own tastes. I mean, some yeah. people probably look at us, or look at me, about my love for film. Or horror films. Mm. They don't understand what's going through our heads. But it's obviously it's that same part which gives us this joy of such things. It's good having those joys, isn't it? be pretty boring if we all enjoyed the same thing. Yeah, but why sneakers? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> why an evil car that possesses people? <laughs> well, it must be so frustrating because the second you put those on your feet and step outside, they're going to be blemished. We've kind of gone off topic quite quite, a f quite far. No, we're, we're trying to get in the head of Arnie <laughs> right now. We're trying to understand what he's going through. Yes, let's get back to the film. Around this point, this is when Dennis scuppers his football dreams when he busts up his leg and neck after witnessing Arnie swapping spit with the new girl, Lee, beside the now fully restored Christine. Because, of course, everyone wants the new girl. Yeah, and I originally thought, when, when this scene was happening, I thought somehow Christine was putting this image in Dennis's head. Um, that it wasn't actually happening, that they're on the car snogging and stuff, but maybe they were just standing next to each other when you flip back the camera. Do you know what I mean? That's what I originally thought was going to happen, and then, oh, no, it's actually happening. <laughs> Again, that could have happened because we're never really given any real understanding of what defines Christine's supernatural powers. Yeah, I mean, well... there's, there's a point where, obviously... The car is also jealous of the new girl, of Arnie's girlfriend. Yeah, that's super weird, yeah. isn't he, it? And she chokes her somehow. She eats yeah, a donut she, or something, don't Yeah, she? they've gone to um, a drive-in movie, haven't they? And she starts eating something that was on the dashboard. and um, The radio plays, the lights yeah, flare Arnie, up. Arnie's not in the car at this time, so she gets locked in the car. And starts choking. And she's choking. He gets stuck in her throat. Yeah. What? But then Arnie gets really jealous um, because some stranger is um, trying to save his girlfriend. Was it because he's laying hands on the car door? Oh, yeah, quite possibly. Don't you touch my car. I suppose it's a little bit like, take off your muddy boots before you get into my car. Or it's like, take your hands off my girl. Yeah. 
After all this, Lee gives Arnie serious blue balls because he cares more about touching Christine's dials than hers. You didn't actually make that noise. But a boom. I suppose that is the most memorable way to die in a horror movie. Not exactly goriest, but hey, she choked in someone's car with a donut in her throat. I think Carpenter kind of shot himself in the foot by actively avoiding any gore in this film. Yeah, it felt like it was missing. A little bit main, didn't it? <laughs> and then Buddy and his lackeys completely total Christine with sledgehammers, slash up the upholstery with knives, and apparently take a massive shit on the dashboard. This obviously we don't see. <laughs> oh, we don't see. <laughs> you're not going to see any gore. You're not going to see a turd on the dashboard. No. <laughs> And Arnie takes his heartbreak out on his girlfriend, chokes his dad when he doesn't apologise to his mum at the dinner table. And then we get that standout sequence when Arnie goes, OK, show me. And Christine reassembles herself. Yeah, because every car can do that, can't they? Still a great moment, though. You got a little bit of the synth score. The... <laughs> What, is it just filmed in reverse with hydraulics or something and it just buffers itself out? Yeah, I think... Because I did, I did have a look to see how they did that section because it is quite clever. I think they made certain parts of the body of the car out of plastic, basically suctioned it in and then reversed the film afterwards to make it look like it was going out instead. Still quite an impressive sequence. Yeah, definitely. That, that scene... I actually quite enjoyed just for the technical way that they've done it. And of course, Christine, fully back on her feet, or wheels, starts picking off the bullies one by one. And this is when you realise this film is not for classic car lovers because they fucked up so many cars for this sequence of events. Yeah, how many did they actually end up using? 17 complete Christines were reassembled from over 20 1958 Plymouth Furies that production seeked out across the whole of America during pre-production, which then they completely destroyed. Yeah, my God. For all these numerous stunts, and in the end, only two of the 17 Christine survived. That's absolutely ridiculous. It's not very eco-friendly either. <laughs> But could you imagine the car loves? They must be tearing their hair out. Must be like super expensive now that they've destroyed oh, so God many. Dear, from 1958. Yeah. Christine forces her way through a narrow alleyway to get to one of the lackeys. Mm. It sets itself on fire. No, no, it doesn't. What is it? Oh, it's that section where it's at the petrol station and that gets set on fire. It's like driving into the yeah, petrol Christine's station, isn't it? Trying to it. kill one of the um, bullies. Yeah, they totally built a petrol station for this just to blow it up. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That's what happens when you don't have big star names attached. You can spend all your money on all these stunts. And feel sorry for the stunt driver who had to drive in that inferno of a car at night with blacked out windows. They're not even just blacked out, though, because you can get blackout windows for cars... They do not look like that. It just looks like they've put something you cannot see through at all. Could the stunt driver actually see? <laughs> yeah, I don't know who you feel more sorry for. 
him driving or the actors who had to run from the car while he was yeah. pursuing them. And if we didn't see it was Christine tailing Buddy, I would have thought it was a BMW driver getting up his ass. <laughs> That's really true, isn't it? <laughs> and what's left of Christine returns back to the workshop and Will Darnell doesn't hesitate to sit in the driver's seat of this wreck. I mean, this thing is scorched to the earth. And despite already witnessing it driving on its own, he was kind of asking for it, weren't he? He sits in his seat. Oh, what's going on here? And then he's crushed against the steering wheel. You leave. You see a car driving by itself. Not just a car, but a wreck of a car, which is smouldering because it's been on fire. You leave. You don't sit in the car seat. Unless this is another thing that the car can do and it attracts people to come and sit inside it. Christine must be feeding off Arnie because he is starting to look rough. This physical change is reflected in Arnie's dialogue as well. Oh, sorry, one, one point to put on this. Several times throughout the film, you can actually see the um, miles on Christine going down. So that's another kind of indication that the car is feeding off Arnie's energy or life or whatever. His life force. Yeah. So she gets younger from feeding off its drivers, its yeah. owners. And that kind of reflects on what he says as well, because he says, let me tell you a little something about love, Dennis. It has a vivacious appetite. It eats everything. Friendship, family. It kills me how much it eats. And then he dies unceremoniously at the end, caressing Christine's front grill. <laughs> he does that, doesn't he? He basically gets, gets thrown out of the car. Yeah. I guess it doesn't have seatbelts. And he's just like, My beloved, touch your smooth crumb grill one last time. What part of the woman would that be then? My fun parts. I don't know. <laughs> Let me squeeze your jubblies one last time. <laughs> and then Christine is finally squashed into a cube. But there's still life in the old girl yet. So what did you think of a killer car? Um, it was okay. I don't think I'd watch it again. And do you know what? I don't think I'd recommend this to people either. If you're picking out of the... <laughs> out of Stephen King's films, then no. Or even John Carpenter's films. You think two masters of the genre would create this incredible, legendary horror film? Exactly. I just, I expected a bit more. But what did you think, James? Well, it's not one of Carpenter's best, but it's watchable. An evil killer card just isn't scary. A lesson Stephen King didn't learn when a couple of years later he wrote and directed Maximum Overdrive mm. about a bunch of killer trucks. <laughs> um. Yeah. But, you know, cocaine. It's the 80s. So if you think about like a modern adaptation of this, I could see it being like electronic technology, like, you know, like the film like iRobot. Um, that, to me, like a futuristic killer car, would be more realistic. <laughs> no, so it's not supernatural. It's no. like AI gone bad. Yes. Yeah, that's That is more realistic to me than a supernatural evil car. And that has happened. Apparently, some of these self-driving cars have gone haywire and collided into trees and killed people. Exactly. So, 
There we go. And this this is quite um, shocking to me. I didn't like it. You didn't mind it. Um, but it's got a 64% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes and a 69% tomato meter. So it hasn't done too bad. I mean, that's not bad for a horror film either. They've... Yeah. Both the critical reception and the box office returns were mediocre at best. Mm. Do you know how much money they spent on this film? Like with buying all those cars and like building a petrol station that they just blew up. Must have been quite a bit. It was roughly around 10 million at the time. 10 million. I don't know if what well, that would be these days, accounting for inflation. But I do know is... It most definitely wasn't as much as how much The Thing was made for. How much is that then? Because that was such a flop with all those special effects. Mm. No way was any studio was going to give John Carpenter the same amount of money to make Christine. Fair enough. This was our first instalment of King Month. Yep, and you get to enjoy King Month for the rest of January. Then for... 2021, we've got things like decades. Um, we're oh, yeah, for my birthday month in May, we're doing Ladies' Choice. I'm gonna pick some, <laughs> pick some um, horror films. I don't know how good that's gonna be, but we'll see. <laughs> and what else? What else do you think we're gonna cover, James? I think we're gonna do a kind of slashy summer, yeah, with all the cheesy. 80s slasher films to watch mm-hmm. and maybe some like tainted love or something for february you've been listening to scaring sam i'm james and i'm sam and you can find us on twitter and instagram on scaring sam pod and you can contact us at scaring sam pod at gmail.com stay, stay safe, safe out, out there, there tonight, tonight.